listening to First Church Charlotte. I know you do too. The word of the Lord is our foundation. It is our only sure path to God. And we are seeing Jesus in this week of his passion. I will remind you, I think I've mentioned this before, but just so we're all on the same uh, timeline, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We talked about that a few weeks ago. The triumphal entry happens on a Sunday. Somebody say a Sunday. Now that's important to remember because half of the book of Mark is this last week of our Lord's passion, our Lord's sacrifice. And we see him in these last chapters of the book of Mark, we see him delivering final thoughts, preaching, as it were, final sermons, sharing final insights. And Sunday is the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Monday is the day he curses the fruit tree that has no fruit and he causes general chaos in the temple by overthrowing the money changers tables and saying that my house is supposed to be a house of prayer for all people. No one was surprised when he said it's supposed to be a house of prayer, but they were quite surprised when he said it's a house of prayer for all peoples. We always want to keep the house of God a house for all peoples. Uh, that happened on Monday, so you guys are with me in context. On Tuesday is where we are now. The first thing that happens on Tuesday is they coming back in Jerusalem, see the tree that he has cursed the day before on Monday, and we receive the lesson of uh, the fruitless fig tree as a type of Israel. It's not that they didn't learn lessons. They learned the wrong lessons. It's not that they did not have a plan. It's that they decided upon the wrong plan. And so you see uh, the the result of that cursing in Jesus in teaching his disciples gives a lesson of that of that uh, fruit tree. Uh, also, now on Tuesday later in the day, we we talked last week about events happened on Tuesday. This week, uh, we are looking at the end of chapter number eleven. Uh, why don't you direct your attention? You don't have to stand. We'll just look at these scriptures as we uh, move through. Uh, now we see him in verse number 27 of the gospel of Mark chapter number 11. Then they came again to Jerusalem and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes and the elders came to him and they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority to do these these things? This is the challenge to the Lord Jesus Christ of his authority. Why are you doing this? Now, Jesus is going to place them in a circumstance where they cannot give him an answer. Uh, let's, let's see this starting in verse number 29. And Jesus, remember, they want to know by what authority do you do this? And Jesus answered and said, I also will ask you one question. Then answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? Answer me. He has placed them in a 
logical conundrum. They cannot say what they really think because they're afraid of the people. They cannot say we think he was of man and not from God because the Bible says they feared the people. They reasoned among themselves and said, "From he- if we say from heaven, then Jesus will say, why did you not believe John the Baptist? If you say he's from heaven, why did you not believe him? Uh, why were you not baptized by him? Why did you protest and resist what God was doing? Uh, if we say, they reason, he is from people are going to rise up. They're going to be angry with us. And because they fear the people, they uh, don't answer either way. And they say this to Jesus. And this, to me, is very interesting. Passages like this uh, are not just giving to us to, to rush through. They're, they're given to us to consider and to carry with us into our personal devotion. And when you get, I, I, I personally have found this to be uh, a certain path forward for study for myself. And I certainly am not the only person who studies the scripture, nor do I believe I have any particular insight. But I do know that whenever you have a passage like this, do not simply be done with it. Just pause. It's better for me, I believe, to pause and let the scripture rest upon me than it is for me just to rush to the end of the chapter. What, Lord, are you trying to say to us in this passage? And I will find a lot of times, I will I will read it. I will pause. Uh, I, I don't have a, a three chapter a day uh, read the scripture goal. I have a one concept a day <laughs> read the scripture goal. And a lot of times that one concept can be one or two verses. And you guys who are reading two or three chapters a day, you guys are way more spiritual than I am. Just pray for me that I'll make heaven my home and my family will be saved. I can't rush past the idea. It, it, there's, there, there's a reason why Jesus did things. Um, and in that story is the weight, I believe, of the spiritual impartation. And so here you have this moment where Jesus does not answer the, 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 the scribes. He does not answer uh, the chief priest. And I, I would like to point out for, for all of our understanding here that these men would not have been primarily Pharisees. Now, we know Jesus has a problem with the Pharisees, again in the, again in the Scripture. Uh, the conflict with the Pharisees, it, it starts way back, uh, and Jesus has to deal with the Pharisees. These men, because of their status, they would have been Sadducees. You see, the Sanhedrin Council was not Pharisee. Pharisee was the faith of the middle class, so to speak, the faith of the people. There may have been a few, but Jewish history te- lets us know that the vast majority of that Sanhedrin Council were Sadducee. The most of the priesthood were Sadducee. The, most of the scribes, uh, well, with the scribes, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to speak with sure assurance on the scribes. There may have been more Pharisees among the scribes. But these elders, these, these, these leaders, they come to Jesus and they ask him this question. And he, instead of giving them an, a sincere answer, places them in a situation where we don't have to talk about it. Think about that. Does God ever give up on convincing us of anything? I don't know, but I know Jesus did not want to argue on the Tuesday before Calvary. He didn't want to try to convince him now. Three and a half years, 
He has lived his ministry. He has given his words. He has cast his teachings and parables like bread upon the waters. And those who could receive, receive. And those who cannot receive, they they are unwilling to receive. And here, Jesus is no longer willing to engage them. And he intentionally, knowing with understanding, He intentionally places them in a situation where the argument is done. We are not going through this anymore. Now, uh, on one hand, we can can spiritualize this and we can think of somewhat fearful scriptures that uh, are, are instructive of judgment in our life, like scriptures like his spirit will not always strive with a man. I, I don't know if that's fair. That may be too much of a, of a judgment type scripture to place on this moment. I, I first went there and, and, and maybe, maybe there is a lesson there to learn, but I, I think maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves because that scripture, at least for my own uh, devotion, that scripture has such a judgment connotation to it where it is obviously talking about a sense where the Lord no longer tries to guide us, engage us, lead us. I don't think that's what's happening. Why don't I think that's what's happening? The reason why is Jesus is going to pray for mercy for these people. And three days, Jesus is going to say, Father, forgive them. In other words, this isn't about a judgment or mercy. This is about the compression of time. We don't have time to fight. We don't have time to argue. The mission is bigger than our differences. I think there's more of that there, right there. I, I'm remembered of a story, a story that um, was reminded of, uh, uh, I had forgotten about it, but Anthony reminded me of it when uh, Brother Nugent was here, and he told the story about picking cotton. Now, uh, every preacher should have some cotton picking stories. <laughs> But I don't have any cotton-picking stories. I have some grass-mowing stories. <laughs> I have some weed-eating stories. I have some putting drywall up in the church stories and falling through the roof of the church store. I have those kind of stories. But if every preacher should have some cotton-picking stories, then I'm a cotton-picking disappointment, just so you know. <laughs> but he, he told the story about how at the end of the harvest, when you're trying to make up a quota, at first, you picked all the pretty and the clean cotton, and, and, and this is a great preaching illustration, and this sounds like an old-time illustration here, so I'm getting some old-time points tonight. You, first, you pick all the pretty cotton, you know, the, they, I think you called it grade A or grade 1 cotton. Some of, you, some of you rural folks, you probably could correct me after the service. I have no doubt that you won't do it. And so, <laughs> and so that's the first grade, that class A or grade 1 cotton, but when you get to the end of the harvest and you're trying trying to make up a bushel. Uh, what Brother Nugent, he grew up as a sharecropper, and so he grew up picking cotton. And uh, he said, he, he said, and he told this illustration here, you take your hand and you grab the, the cotton, the branch that holds it all, and you just strip all the cotton off. But when you do that, it's not all pretty. It's not all class A. It's, uh, it's not all prissified. It's like I was preaching Sunday. Some of it's a hot mess. After church, Barry sent me a text that I have a confession, Pastor. I'm a hot mess. So now you all know <laughs> Barry's a hot mess. <laughs> uh, you, you grab it and you just take it all. Now that's not grade A cotton or grade, grade one, whatever they call it. That's B 
uh, that's great too. But at the end of the harvest, you're taking everything. That's, I feel like that's kind of a moment here in the life of Jesus. We don't have time to argue. I have some things I need to say to the disciples. I have some parables I need to give. He's about to give a parable. We'll talk about it next week. The vineyard, the parable of the wicked uh, vine dressers. Uh, we'll get to that next week. He's about to give a parable. We don't have time to fight over whether or not you think I'm anything. I'm no longer trying to argue with you about this. I have things I need to say. I believe in this last day there's a great revival that's coming into our churches. I believe it's already started. I love stories from the missions field because, man, they have such an open net and they just throw the net into the sea and whosoever will. It's just, and I love those stories. And you hear, you hear these stories of, 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 of great revival. I believe there is a great revival in the earth. I believe God has revival that we don't even know about. I believe there are more apostolics. When I say that, I mean people who are following the book of Acts closely. That's what I mean by apostolics. They're following the book of Acts example, first church example closely. There may be more in the last decade in China than there has in the last hundred years in America. I think God is doing a great work. Now, it might not all be pretty like Barry, but let me tell you, God is going to do a work in the last day, and the latter day rain will be greater than the former rain. I claim it, Lord Jesus. I claim it for the city of Charlotte. I claim it for this congregation. I claim it for every one of these believers. I claim it for every unsaved loved one. Right now, they might be addicted to drugs, but I got, God, I pray you'd stir them up and get them in an altar, Lord. I pray for every neighborhood. We may, we may have neighbors and their life is all kind of a mess. God, I pray you'd get them in an altar. Lord, I pray you would grant it in the city of Charlotte. I don't want to just read about revival in the continents around the world. I don't want to just hear about it in Asia or China or the continent of Africa or Eastern Europe or Russia. God, I pray you'd send it right here to Charlotte, North Carolina in Jesus so I, I just feel like I feel like Jesus he just doesn't have time to argue he's not pronouncing judgment on anybody he just said look he just he just traps them in their own neuroticism you know not neuroticism when you have something hung up and you can't get over it you know the bottle must be on this side somebody moves over no it has to be over here it's like they're just hung up and he's I don't have time for this and so by doing that he simply asks them this question, but it's an important question. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from earth? In other words, was it a God thing or was it a man thing? Was it sent by heaven and the kingdom of heaven or is it the result of humanity's ideas, ideals, etc.? This is important because the point that Jesus hangs them on is this. We have to figure out what is from heaven and what is from earth. And this is where we are in the scripture. This is where we are in the story. It's Tuesday afternoon, or at least late morning on Tuesday, and the day of passion is quickly coming. On Friday, they're going to beat him. They're going to crucify him. They're going to put crown of thorns on his head, and by Friday night, he's going to be in a grave. 
Do you feel the compression? And so they must answer the question, is the work and the ministry of John the Baptist from heaven or is the ministry of John the Baptist just simply a tradition of men? We all of that, we all of us have to answer that in our own lives and the manner in which we answer that determines our understanding of what God is doing in the earth. Um, I, I do not believe any of us have to have perfect understanding of what God is doing or even uh, a large understanding of what is God is doing for us to have the gift of God's salvation given to us. Um, I, I feel like if I, if I have to understand everything God's doing in the earth, there's no chance of me being saved. Because a lot of times I feel like, you know, uh, I feel like uh, the guy, the, 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 the priest in the, the, the Jewish uh, religious teacher, um, his name is slipping me, uh, in the book of Acts where they say, look, is this thing going on with Peter? Is this of God or not? And he says, oh, let's just slow our, let's slow our judgment down. If it's not of God, nothing will come of it. If it is of God, we don't want to speak against God. That's, that's pretty good advice. I, I oftentimes don't know what God's doing in people's lives. Um, I, I am, I'll never forget, I tried to start doing prophecy revivals. And so I, I, I did my first one. And I had read and studied. I'm, a, I'm a, kind of a compulsive student as a personality. I just am always doing something, always listening to something. And so uh, I had studied all this stuff. And, and one of the guys I was studying, he had the image of the leopard in the scripture. He had that as, as Greece. And another one had that as modern-day Germany. Uh, persecution of the Jews and all of that. I didn't know what to do. So finally, in my uh, in my revival, I just was like, "Who knows?" I mean, I'll just I, I just want to work the altar, man. <laughs> and so I was like, flipped a coin, and I and I and, and at that time, uh, the guy the the guy who pastors up in Indiana, who's really well known for uh, man, I just talked to him. His name. Baxter. Yeah, Baxter went with Germany as the leopard, you know. And so I said, man, well, Baxter, I, I'll go with him. They can't be too mad at me. I mean, you know, he's supposed to be their brother and everything. And so I went with Baxter's interpretation of prophecy and they canceled the revival and they kicked me out. <laughs> Not even kidding. That happened in Dallas, Texas. So anyway, um, I was like, holy cow, man, I get <laughs> No more prophecy for me. Who knows? I'll, I have a confession to make for all of you. Um, I, I don't know who the leopard is. <laughs> I, I, I just know that they live in Africa and, um, yeah. So, <laughs> I don't have perfect understanding. I think we can be saved without perfect understanding. Our faith must be in Jesus Christ. He has given us a guide that is shown both in the Old Testament through the tabernacle or temple plan, and it is shown in the book of Acts through what happened to the disciples. It's a great, beautiful progression. Begins with faith, goes to repentance, spirit of oh, spirit filling, water bath. All of this is a great progression as we grow toward God, and in that is that salvation experience with God. So that's awesome. We love it. Praise God. Book of Acts comfortable with that but now who is the leopard I don't know and honey you don't either um, so how do we determine these issues of is this from heaven or is this a man thing well the scripture gives us some guides some some rules of thumb on this and we would want to first of all we would want to uh, be scriptural about it can I have a big amen that was poor. That was poor. We want to be scriptural about it. Can I have a big amen? amen. 
that's what I'm talking about. Thank God, finally. So, uh, what's the first thing that we know? Uh, we know that the teachings and the words and the examples of Jesus are our primary safe place. Why? Because we know scripturally that he has been given all authority. I want you to see that. Why the words, the teachings, the parables, the examples, the life, the, the, the everything of Jesus gets primary above everything else. Why? All things are brought under subjection to him. Through him we live, we move, we have our being. Through him we have access to God. Through him the truth problem has been resolved into mercy and we have been imputed his righteousness and we praise God for grace. Ye are complete in him. So we can look at the teachings of Jesus. We can look at the life of Jesus. We can look at the parables of Jesus, the examples of Jesus. If Jesus said it, honey, I'm good with it. We're safe. That's a very, very safe place. The second safe thing we know, we know that is safe in determining of heaven and earth is what does, does a teaching come through the apostles? You see, we know biblically Jesus has all authority and we know biblically that Jesus has uh, delegated authority through the disciples or to the disciples to the apostles. We can read John chapter number 13 and in verse number 20, um, most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Now, there is a temptation for us, to just anybody, to claim that for themselves. And about once a month, I'll have someone come to the church, and they'll ask for financial support. Now, our church uh, supports a lot of people, but because of the problem of uh, being taken advantage of, we decided uh, a few years back that if we do not know them, we do not support them. And so otherwise, you just, you don't know, you end up supporting everybody. Now, that person could come and say, I'm sent by God, and the Lord has told me to tell you to write me a check. I like the sound of that. <laughs> so so we, we can't just give that to anybody, but honey, you can give it to the apostles. And you can give it to the disciples because they are foundational to the work of God. They serve, the apostles, the disciples serve as official ambassadors, 2 Corinthians 5. And to ensure their reliability, we know from John 14, John 16, that Jesus promised his spirit would be with them and we also have the advantage of his spirit with us. And whenever a church stands strongly upon the example, the teaching, the parables, the ministry of Jesus, they're in a safe place. When they stand upon the teaching, the doctrine, the counsel of the apostles, they are in a safe place. The Bible tells us that the New Testament church continues continued steadfastly how in the apostles doctrine when we see the apostles doctrine we can say this is this is a god thing and so i am comfortable standing before you um, and uh, and saying to you without any doubt the words of jesus 
the life of Jesus, that's a heaven thing. Don't say that's of mankind. That is anointed from heaven. The work of the apostles, the works of the apostles, the writing of the apostles. Now, they're not Jesus, but Jesus gave them authority and he gave them understanding. And so we build, first of all, upon Jesus, Christ and him crucified, no other foundation stone. After that, we receive his authority through the apostles' doctrine. Can I have an amen? Amen. So, uh, there is no need for any modern day words beyond the scripture. We do not need another doctrine. We have it in the scripture. And so, if a religious practice is founded sincerely founded because you can manipulate things if you have a heart to do so sincerely founded upon these things we can safely say and we as a church safely say we as individual believers say these things are of God so that is why we build upon scripture that is the foundation stone that God has given us now so What is the distinction between that and uh, something that is the opposite of that, that is something from mankind? So we would see, and the scripture gives us examples of this, and I'm going to stick with those scriptural examples. Uh, Matthew chapter 7 warns us against following something that is simply followed by other people or a lot of people. A majority is not a reason to do anything. And so I'm glad that all 14 of your cousins do something. God bless them. I hope they do well. I have nothing against them, but that's not a good enough reason to say this is from God. Do you see? Uh, That is shown to us in the scripture. Secondly, um, if it is simply something that has come to you through a tradition or through a family, that is not. Our church is filled with people who your, your parents may have loved God. Your parents may have been very sincere. And I think we're safe to say that we can leave them with God. It is not our job to judge them. Uh, our, the Elms family came out of the Methodists, I believe, in Texas. And so in that Methodist tradition, there's a lot of wonderful, sincere people. Can I have a big amen? Some of you came out of a Baptist tradition in Carolina. We are primarily a Baptist state. I think the Baptists, they own pretty much everything around here. And I have deep, deep respect for the Baptists. They are in so many ways so close to us. Don't get offended when I say that. They are very sincere, good people. They, they, they live what they believe. They take it seriously. They don't just go through motions. Uh, they have a, a, a slightly different soteriology or doctrine of salvation than we do. But they live what they, they live lives of testimony. They take stands for what they believe. They're a lot of times more active than we are in protesting things. That are not, so, so we don't have to make enemies out of them, okay? We can leave them with God. We can leave them and they leave us with God, right? Um, and so uh, that doesn't weaken us and it doesn't weaken them. It shows that both sides respectively, as much as we are able, we are living peacefully, we are honoring one another, we are preferring one another. I don't want to have a church that has to make enemies in order to convince itself it's the real thing. Is that fair? And so, but I have deep, deep respect for them. Some of you come from them. I, I, I'll say even beyond that, there are, there are just, there, there are so many deeply sincere Catholic people uh, that some of you guys come through that Catholic tradition. I, 
do, I refuse to see the Catholic people as my enemy. Now, it's easy to find uh, history, church history things that are, are ugly and harsh, and, and that's different than the people. That's a separate issue than your neighbor who is zealous and sincere in their, in their faith. And I want to say, I know a ton of people from the Catholic tradition in Louisiana, and they make some of the best apostolics I've ever met. Okay, so they, a lot of them go to a lot more church than we do. They'll go to Mass every day, put us to shame. Anyway, what am I trying to say? So, uh, a lot of you people came out of that, and like the Elms family, we were Methodists, at least on my mom's side. Um, I, I, and on my dad's side's mom, mom, yes, Lord, whatever you're trying to say to the people, just just speak forth. Uh, so, on the, the Elms side, I know we were Methodists. I think on the Benson side, we were just general heathen. Um, but um, on the Elms side, we were we were Methodists, and on the Benson side, we were just general heathen. And so, um, I, I love me some general heathen. I, that's why I get along with some of you guys. You know, we come from the same family. <laughs> so, I mean, Don was a DJ back in the disco era. That means at least once Don did this. <laughs> Can you imagine? I can see him doing that. I totally can see that happening. My point is this. Just because something comes to you as a, like my grandmother did it, et cetera, et cetera, that is not assurance that it is a heaven thing, do you see? That can still be something that represents a lot of traditions of men. That doesn't mean you have to despise them. Doesn't mean you have to dishonor them. Please don't make enemies over it. How, you know, Christianity, we claim that the gospel of Christ has changed us, and then we go make enemies. There's no need for it. Love wins. And the lesson of the martyrs is even when love loses, it still wins. And the lesson of Calvary is even when love loses, it still wins. And so uh, we see here uh, that if something comes to you that way, um, it, 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 it not necessarily is guaranteed to be a heaven thing. Um, and the Bible shows us this in Mark chapter number 10. Uh, thirdly, and this, of course, is um, in my part of the ball field, just because a preacher has told you something or a scholar has told you something is not enough. A priest, now, uh, a priest, now we don't believe in priest. We believe in the universal priesthood of the believer. What we mean by that is uh, you do not only have access to God through some elite religious elite. We believe in the universal priesthood of the believer. That is very much a Protestant belief, and we are very much from that Protestant tradition. Um, and so uh, we don't have a priesthood per se, but we can have preacher worship, and um, we have been guilty uh, of having uh, preachers uh, start superstitious habits uh, because a preacher did it. Uh, and there's no example of it in the scripture, and people almost have a super superstition toward it. That's even happened among us. I won't get into details of it, but uh, a lot of the initial revivals that happened where the, the apostolic doctrine kind of burst in upon Protestantism on the turn of the century, a lot of those early revivals, they ended up in an almost type of superstition as they lost their doctrinal book of Acts uh, purity. Um, and uh, we, uh, and I, I'm not trying to act like, you know, we got everything right and they got everything wrong. Uh, that, that's self-serving. But my point is, if we're not careful, we get into this honoring the preacher above the word. That can never happen. We cannot honor a preacher above the word. Does that make sense? And so, uh, 
Sorry, my, 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 I have a, some kind of a wire going down my back here and it's killing the spirit even as I, I fight with it. Uh, why? Do we have a biblical example of what I'm trying to say where a, a teacher or a preacher actually um, is, is in error? Yes, we do. In fact, we have a good bit on this. Paul warns, 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, that we can be mis- easily misled. Also, Jesus in chapter number 15 compared the religious leaders of his day to blind men leading blind followers, and they all end up in, they all up in, in the ditch. And so, uh, we must have an attitude quite like, uh, the Bereans, the Berean church in the Bible, uh, who they received Paul and they listened to everything that Paul said. And eventually they became converts. But the first thing they did with what Paul said is they carefully examined the scriptures. And for all the time, the Bereans have had that biblical honorific upon them that they, uh, they listened to Paul and then they examined the scriptures in light of what he taught. You can see this in Acts chapter number 17. Uh, 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 fourthly, uh, something is not from heaven just because it is creedal or it is honored in church history by having a creed of some type upon it. A creed is necessarily a summation that is written to to deal with a, a theological problem at a time, and in another time becomes misleading. You see, so there's theological problems in, in, in the history of the church, and uh, there's a creed will be adopted to deal with a certain theological problem in a time, and within 50 years, no one remembers why it was adopted. They just know they have to repeat the creed. Now, to different ears in a different dispensation, the creed actually ends up in a different place. Hearing, it's like it means something. That's how we ended up in a semi-polytheistic Christianity. Do you see? And so when people emphasize the threeness of God rather than the oneness of God, do you see? So we want to emphasize, yes, we believe in the Father, read the Bible. Yes, we believe in the Son, read the Bible. Yes, we believe in the Holy Ghost, read the Bible. They're all talked about. But hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. We have to emphasize the oneness of God or we have lost the tradition through time. You see what I'm saying? Um, and so uh, that's that is that is something that uh, that that is important. A creed it may have been useful in one theological battle, but before it's done, if you don't understand the story, the context, you end up with something that sounds it, it, it's really different than what it was originally intended to be. Uh, 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 something that is a creed, something that is a tradition, is not good enough. Um, I have respect for every sincere Mormon, but I cannot accept the book of Mormon. I cannot accept an extra biblical source. Do you see what I'm saying? I don't want to fight over it. I don't want to make enemies of anybody, but I cannot accept it. I have respect for every sincere Roman Catholic, a person devout in their faith, sincere, but I cannot accept a papal authority beyond Holy Scripture. I simply cannot do that. And so this continues and goes on and on in the Scripture, and we see it necessarily uh, uh, brought to a point of conflict in church history because people, when they do want to add, it 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 has to be from man. It cannot be from God. Any ca- 
catechism that's given by any uh, church history, by any church tradition, uh, cannot be placed. It might be valuable. Uh, uh, The book of devotionals you read in the morning, it might be valuable. It might be a good thing. I have no problem with that. But we cannot place it on the same level as Scripture. Can I have a big amen? All right. I've got two, three more, four more, 19 more. So I'm going to move quickly. Your conscience is not a good guide for what something, whether something is from heaven. Paul tells us that he served God with a good conscience, even though he was killing Christians. Our conscience is not, it is valuable and the Lord will use it to convict us, but it is not the same level as scripture. And so we see again and again that although something seems to feel right to us, that does not necessarily make it right. We have to be founded upon the scripture. Next, what is this? Six, human wisdom, the philosophies of our own history is not from heaven. It is from men. God has chosen to save people with a grace that the Bible tells us confounds human wisdom. He has chosen to show us, contrary to human experience, something that is of heaven, do you see? And so we see Proverbs 14 and 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Proverbs 28, 26, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. Jeremiah, the prophet says, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own step. We must stand upon the word of God. All right, number seven. Man, it's quiet. Thank you for coming up and reminding me it's about time to quit. (laughs) She's on a timer. I I send her up here when this time is right. See, she gets an angel, visits her, says, go forth. And that's how that happens. Um, We cannot accept a doctrine. And this is getting into an edgier area. And I don't mean to offend anyone here. But uh, we cannot simply accept something that is only shown to us in the Old Testament. Um, The reason why of of that is because uh, of the church history example in the New Testament church. Uh, We know through Paul that the law was given because of transgressions. Let me read chapter 3 verse 19. What purpose then? does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Old Testament is great for doctrine, but if it ever contradicts the New Testament, we have to go with the New Testament. Why? Because that was given for a time and a season. We know biblically it is a tutor given to God's people to lead them to Christ. Galatians 3 and 24. The tutor has been taken away, Galatians 3 and 25. We have now instruction through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those who were under the law came to Christ and they became dead to the law, Romans 7 and 14. They were delivered from the law, Romans 7 and 6. That is not to say the type and the doctrine, the teaching and the truth is not threaded through it all. It is, but we cannot get into a place where we choose Old Testament over over New Testament. And uh, I, I say that not simply because it is my belief, but you will see this established in almost all uh, systematic theologies uh, where we have a predominant focus upon the New Testament. So these are standards 
These are examples shown to us in the scripture of how something can be from man. And we also see in the scripture of how something can be from God. And so what does it all mean for us? Well, individually, it has to mean this. We are a Bible-founded, a Bible-believing church. The Bible is our bread of life. I'm almost done, so give me a few amens before I'm done here. The Bible is our bread of life. The Bible is our foundation upon which we build. We know God how through the Word of God. Our promises are given to us through the Word of God. Our hope is given to us through the Word of God. Uh, We can never elevate ourselves to the level of the Word of God. It has to be a sacred place in our life because that's the only assurance we have uh, to know whether or not something is from heaven or something is from earth. And so, I know this is kind of uh, classroom feeling here tonight. I apologize. I really didn't want to do this tonight, uh, but it's uh, it's in the order. <laughs> it's in the scripture. I didn't couldn't quite skip it over. Let's all stand. Amen. Amen. I want our church services to feel like more of heaven than more of earth. I want the preaching. The Lord will help us. <laughs> I want our preaching to feel like it's more from heaven than it is from earth. I want our prayer times individually. We have a, at the end of the month, we have a week of prayer and fasting coming up. In that time of prayer, I, I hope those times feel like they're more of heaven than they are of earth. I hope parents, I hope we organize our lives where our kids look at our life and they feel like they're more of heaven than they are of earth. You see? Um, love not the world, the Bible said. Neither the things that are in the world. If we have love for that. Now, in the Greek, love is very strong. It's not simply, you know, kind of like a like. It's a very strong word in the Greek. If we have that deep kind of Greek usage of the term for the world, we can't have an also claim a deep abiding love for God. And so we cannot love the things of this world. We must be people that are more of heaven than we are of earth. And so I want to challenge all of you. God bless you. I love you. I want to go to heaven with you. I want to get the scripture right with you. Um, I want to challenge all of you. Everything in your life that you find yourself, you really, really like. Catch yourself and remind yourself this world is not your home. Look, I'm, I'm a guy who likes cars. I like cars. I, I spend my money on my car. My wife doesn't care near as much. I like my car. It's good for me when I get a new car to sit down in it and say, oh, I like my car. But you know what? This world is not my home. It's just a thing. Whatever we have in our life, I hope you have a really nice house. I hope you take pride in it. I hope you have the best lawn in your neighborhood. God, God, God bless you for all that hard work. I will never have that problem. God bless you for all that. You understand what I'm saying? But whatever it is we love in this world, let us, all of us, hear me. Let's get in the habit of laying it on an altar and saying, this world is not my home. I vote. I don't always vote. Sometimes I protest and pointedly don't vote. But when I vote, but my hope is not in a president. My hope is not in Congress. My hope is not even in a legal system. I'm thankful for a legal system. I don't want to live in some barbaric Lord of the Flies world, and neither do you. I'm thankful for a civil society. That's not our hope. Our hope is of heaven. Our hope, our hope is of heaven. Lord, 
Walk with your people, I pray. Let our hearts be attuned to the things of God. Let our affections be set on things above. Let us, let us not be beset by the possessions of this life that oftentimes end up possessing us. Oh God, but let us have a heart for the things of the Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. I pray your anointing upon your people. I pray your blessing upon them. I pray their light would shine as they go out into the community this week. I pray for all of our kids who tonight were next door and, and going through Prosper, the Prosper You mentoring. Lord, I pray you would go home with them. I pray you would protect them. I pray you would put a, an interest in the hearts of their parents to know more about the things of God and have a deeper relationship. Lord Jesus, help this church reach our community. Help us create a, a heavenly place here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you. Sorry for going long tonight. I love you. I'll make it up to you some other time. You're dismissed in Jesus' Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come join us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road at the corner of Shamrock Drive. Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. and Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Online, find us at firstchurchclt.com or like us on Facebook or Twitter. We hope to see you soon. Come worship with us.